there's no one way to play a game. We all know that as athletes, but it especially translates to business and building a business in today's society and economy. Today, we sit down with Nikki and Michelle, the co-founders of Alavi, and they're in the process of building a better-for-you protein bar and superfood spread company. And as two co-founders, they found that they complement each other's style of play very well. They've also gotten really resourceful and creative in building their business. We share a lot of those insights and tips for you today. This is episode 180 with the founders of Lavi. You're tuned in to Forever Athlete Radio, where together we go far. Today's episode is a special one. It's recorded live at our away game in LA a little over a month ago. If you're interested in joining in more live recordings, being able to ask our guests questions in real time, go check out our Forever Athlete Discord community. There you'll have exclusive access to everyone you hear from on the show, be able to interact with others just like you, and to stay in the know with upcoming events coming to your city. You can learn more over on our website at forever-athlete.com. Now let's dive into it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live. We are at the LA away game right now in person with my good friends, Nikki and Michelle. Ladies, how are we feeling? Thank you for coming out here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, what a beautiful place to record in sunny LA. Full disclosure, I do not live here. This is not my house, but we have a nice long pool behind us, and we have a live audience of amazing human beings, and we're curious. We should have done uh, that. That would have been yeah, great. Zach, Zach said we should just do it in this pool. Great idea. Let's time out. We're going to go in there now. <laughs> go in there next. Um, I'm curious because everyone out in L.A., I don't want to say everyone. A lot of people own brands and are founders, as you guys know. I think it's just the circle that we run in out here. We meet a lot of really cool people doing a lot of cool different things. Yeah. And I'm always curious to hear the founding story. So take me back, though, pre-Alavi days. Where did you guys start? Because a lot of the people here in this audience, a lot of people listening in, are early stages in their career. They're trying to figure it out. They're mm-hmm. trying to figure out what their passion is, what their purpose is, what they want to do. And obviously, you guys didn't start Alavi right out of school. It took you... A number of years to even come up with this concept so yeah. let's go Nikki first and then Michelle will take okay. us back a little bit yeah that's actually the point in our life when we met was our like mid-20s like 24 25 um, we met teaching fitness classes at Equinox up in San Francisco a place that we spent a lot of our extra valuable free time was at the gym <laughs> and I think that's why we bonded so much as we just like oh you're here too again <laughs> like and we were teaching you know early morning classes and classes after work we had full-time corporate day jobs um, so we really bonded just this shared love of fitness and we also both were obsessed with like outdoor adventures we love to go to Yosemite and um, just kind of dreaming about you know where we could adventure outdoors in our San Francisco playground. Um, but just this immediate connection between the both of us of just these shared interests. Um, yeah, so to kind of take it back to your story of like before we met, so my background was in tech. Uh, I worked at a startup called Eventbrite, which is a, a tech startup essentially where we sell events uh, or event booking. And then from tech startups, I worked in project management, digital, so I was very much in the digital world. And then uh, was before I started Alavi, uh, was at Sephora Corporate on the innovation team. And so my background was sales, marketing, tech, and digital media. And uh, I love sharing that because, to your point, we did not start this straight out of college. And that experience was so integral because we use those skill sets of selling, marketing, digital content creation, um, managing contracts uh, to this day, every single day with running a lobby. And if we didn't have the, that, if I didn't have that experience, then that would not have 
surrounded to what we are today. And I'll let Nikki speak about her early day experience and how she applies that. Yeah, I was at PwC. I was working in consulting, primarily finance and um, accounting consulting. I'd been there for, I'd started in college as an intern and then took a full-time offer and had been there um, since college and had was just kind of going, climbing up the corporate ladder there with, you know, an amount of satisfaction that kept me there, but definitely knowing that there was something far greater that mm. I wanted to be doing um, and kind of just like looking for the right moment or opportunity um, that was going to take me off that path of, of where I was. Um, Michelle and I kind of shared that, it, you know, it was such a, a, a great time in our life where we were learning all of these skills and, and building our networks and, um, you know, just kind of experiencing what it's like to be in a job where you know this is not what you want to be doing, but kind of having to go through, uh, you know, the slog of it, it of just put perseverance of, of, of learning those skills and, and being kind of at the bottom of a corporate food chain um, to learn that you want to be doing something else. We kind of just got to the point where like, you know, this isn't, it's time, like this is time to go. And Michelle was very much um, the courageous one of the two of us that like was like diving in head first. And I was like, let's run numbers. Let's look at logic. Like maybe holding back on the edge of the pool a little bit. Um, but together it's, you know, it's such a good combination between the two of us of kind of like where our natural tendencies are. Yeah. Um, but as you mentioned, like really, really grateful for those, you know, seven years of, of working mm -hmm. um, before we started a lobby. We had a lot of founders who started in college or, you know, just for whatever reason, started without some of that experience. And I think the skill sets that we have has been why we've grown so fast with the lobby. And every single day, we're, like as Michelle mentioned, you know, we're constantly learning, but so much of that foundation is from from our jobs previously. Yeah. Do you find that you guys balance each other out a lot in that regard of maybe a little bit more reserved from the consulting background, being like, all right, I need to see the numbers a little bit. And it sounds like, Michelle, you're a little bit more like, let's just go try I'm things positive. and like, let's just see what happens. Maybe we totally. start some nut butters or whatever it may be. And how have you guys managed that relationship between the two of you all as founders, as co-founders? Because I can speak to my experience of just being solo. It's kind of nice because I'm like, well, but at the end of the day, like, I'm more like Michelle. I'm to totally like, let's just go try things. And yeah. Sometimes I wish I had some people around me that'd be like, hey, let's like rein this in a little bit. So how have you guys learned to navigate that now as a lobby continues to grow? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say what's really important is to, first of all, know yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And be self-aware of, you know, what do you bring to the table and what are your strengths just as much as your weaknesses. And I think we're both very self-aware. And on top of that, I think we're both incredibly empathetic people I would argue that it's a superpower of women. Um, why more women should be entrepreneurs because we have this ability to read the room, to connect authentically, to you know, pick up on other people's nuances um, a lot more sensitively. And so I think it's you know, able to pick up on, um, okay, what's Nikki's background? So Nikki, to what she just said, she was at PwC for like seven years. Meanwhile, I hopped around from tech startup to different job to different job. And to have that self-awareness, like her experience is so different than mine. So it might be hard for her to jump into the deep end. But for me, it's like, yeah, well, I've changed my job every year. I've been unemployed. It's no big deal. So just having that awareness that it's like, it's going to be harder for her and to have grace with her. And then vice versa for her to be like, okay, Michelle can jump in easily, but like she probably doesn't have the finance background that I have and like might think like throwing a number here is fine. But like, I need to explain to her, you know, it doesn't work that way, right? Or this is what like logistics really entails. Or it's just, it's knowing yourself and knowing how to, you know, confidently check the other person mm. um, in the best interest of your company. I would say we're so good at, you know, doing that because of our friendship. We have that comfort level, mm -hmm. um, but also that trust that the other person can pick it up or we can 
communicate to, to make whatever needs to be done. Yeah. done. There's humility too. I think both of us know that there might not, there's not necessarily a right answer, um, but it's what is the best answer for us in that moment and for a lobby. And so, you know, we're always putting that question first and maybe putting pride aside in terms of, or, or wants aside, but always, you know, putting what is going to be best for the company first and then having this conversation of what are those different pathways forward. And we have, I mean, looking back, there has not been anything that's been like, you know, where we've really disagreed. It's mm-hmm. always like we've, we come to this together and it's just this beautiful relationship of being able to run the company in a way that is so balanced and so collaborative. And I think we've been told by solo founders of just how difficult and lonely it can be. Yeah. And there's so many moments where like we look at something like, are you crazy? Am I crazy? Are we like, you're both oh, seeing this too, the right? Gut like, check like the so gut key. check is the biggest confidence builder when it's like coming to this because it's just like, we're just always on that same page of like, Mm-hmm. kind of looking at each other and like okay great like we're gonna do this forward here right. and you guys met as a result of currently you were teaching spin at the time or group fitness, group fitness and you were taking the class so i was also or instructor you were also instructor yeah. okay yeah so uh she actually inspired me to be an instructor Let's so go. i'd always wanted to be one in college never got around to it and then took her like saturday kickboxing class it was like packed as like a nightclub like people just line up around the door for it because she's so good and I come up to her and I was like, I want to teach. What'd you do? And she's like, yeah, you'd be great. And I'm like, okay. And then I went, like, went and got my certification. I think most people don't think that like, if you say, yeah, you'd be great, that the, the person would actually go and like get certified and audition and go through the, the length to, to You can get. tell when someone has it. Like, you know, like there's certain people in classroom, like you'd be a, probably a great instructor, <laughs> you know, like absolutely. It was a no brainer. And you had such a passion for fitness. Yeah. So got uh, certified and then was teaching. So Nikki's been teaching longer and then, yeah, just was really like adamant on getting in front of the fitness manager and was just very persistent in marketing myself to her. And then eventually she's like a spot up and up. Do you want to take it? And I took it and the rest of the sister was teaching there and we'd take each other's classes sub for each other um, in the main studio. So we teach some more formats mm-hmm. and we do um, not teach the one format we don't teach is spin. you <laughs> like a one woman circus on a bike. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. That my bad for suggesting that. <laughs> no, that was no, the no, it's funny. It's just funny to think about us on <laughs> spin bikes. Um, I'm with you. It's not really my cup of tea either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So uh, to Nikki's point, I, I think that shared understanding of like, how do you balance a full-time job and your passion for teaching? And, and weave that lifestyle in. It's just so unique. Mm-hmm. Either you're a full-time instructor or you work and then you take fitness classes for fun. But to make that crossover to be an instructor, it is very much a time commitment. It's consuming. And to do it well, I think I loved how Nikki just put in so much time and I would see her come in the night before to sound check everything, to practice her choreo. And, and that level of commitment and dedication to make every single experience, every single class perfect, I really admired in her. And, and you could tell because the people kept coming back in, in huge numbers. But we really use kind of the like this mentality around how we curate our fitness classes or any, like when you go to an amazing class, even if it's just, you know, like a one-on-one training session, just like the thoughtfulness that people that someone has done to prepare like a really great workout. We think about that when we innovate for a lobby, like from the very moment you see our packaging to when you open it and like you see the product, you consume it, um, your experience while eating it and after you, how you feel most importantly, after you eat it. Like we think about this in terms of from the minute you walk into a group fitness studio, what music's Mm. playing, what like bright, warm, welcoming face do you see? What's the energy of the room? How are you during it? Are you enjoying it? Does the time fly by? And as you leave, like how much better is your day? Cause you had that workout. Like we kind of think about that model because we're such group fitness junkies like when we uh, kind of curate an experience for our customers, it's very much like a learning lesson in customer service has mm-hmm. been being instructors. Um, and then we just target 
people that come to our classes that they're so much like us. They're running it right out of that class to go to the office or they're coming from the office to that class. We were, we would book and book at each other in the days I was more early mornings, Michelle was in the evenings. And so, you know, I think I'll let Michelle tell the story, but the start of a lobby very much came out of that needing mm -hmm. something to fuel you to through your workouts in the evening and not yeah. having anything that you felt safe and could trust wasn't going to make you feel like have an upset stomach. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So kind of the origin story, um, I was teaching like 6 p.m. classes, working at Sephora all day. And there's that window in the middle of the day around like two or three where you're hungry, your energy's zapped, you know you need to eat something. Um, but for me, every single bar or any other shelf-stable snack that could fit in my purse would ravage my stomach. It had either dairy or sugar alcohols or chicory fiber. And it's all these, you know, additives that a lot of bars have to either bump up the protein, bump up the fiber, drop the net carbs, all this stuff. But it was at the cost of of being able to properly digest it, right? Mm. A lot of inflammation happened. I would be bloated, gassy, sorry for all the information. <laughs> but it was just, it was a very painful experience because I didn't feel safe eating something. And I have a right to feel safe eating something and I have a right to not feel hungry. So it was either I would eat something and I'd feel so sick, I'd feel uncomfortable teaching or too sick to teach, or I would starve myself and not eat anything out of fear, but then I'd be depleted. I'd then like binge eat at like 9 p.m. at night because I was so hungry and neither of those options were healthy. So I wanted this snack that could keep me full, energized, not too full, uh, but just enough. And at the same time, while working at Sephora, I saw that everyone was integrating collagen into their diet and collagen was sitting on everyone's desk, but no one was consuming it. And it was because the form factor of powders was not easy to have every single day, whether it's in a smoothie, you have to have a blender with you at all times, or the coffee would clump because it was gelatinized. And so how great would it be to have a quick, easy snack that also integrated collagen, that also included an ingredient that helped your body stay stronger, recover faster, helped with your skin, your ha hair, your nails, your gut health, and nothing existed that did it right, mm -hmm. right? And so to solve my own problem, I created these delicious collagen protein bars um, and brought it to work, brought it to Sephora, brought it to the gym. And everyone was so blown away by, wow, this is a protein bar that doesn't suck, that tastes real. It used dates and honey, which for the first time, everyone's using sugar alcohol. So going back to the basics, what are natural sweeteners that your body knows how to digest that are rich in antioxidants, great for immunity and um, make for a great tasting bar. Most importantly, exactly. Like, got early feedback, like make it taste good or get out of the business. Yeah. And it was like revolutionary, but also not like keep it, keep it simple mm -hmm. and integrate in really, really high quality proteins. And that's the key to, to the feeling of satiety that you feel is to have a balanced macronutrient profile of fats, carbs, and protein so that you feel satiated without needing to binge. And mm. I think a lot of people with sugar alcohols or these artificial sweeteners, sure, they're low sugar, but they trick the brain into thinking it's getting sugar, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And so then what happens is you end up overeating and that totally you know, counteracts everything that you just thought you were doing. You're like, I'm eating something low carb and low sugar, high protein, high protein. But then you keep craving the signals in your brain are still activated, but you didn't get what you wanted to end up eating more later. Mm -hmm. And so our product, people are like, wow, I'm surprisingly full or wow, I am not bloated or wow, I feel energized. And it's that intuitiveness that we're trying to build of noticing how you feel after you eat and, and that connection uh, to your food is, is so important. And, um, the taste as Nikki mentioned is so key and, 
and um, just the message that, you know, we're building our brand on of just elevating your day with the right nutrition. Yeah, we really are a target consumer. We are hungry girls. Like we could, you know, before a lobby, I think I could have like, and call it, I'd have like two or three quest bars a day. Like, I mean, we were just, we're constantly on the move. We're working out a lot from teaching and like we are hungry. And so this like shockingly is the first thing, first bar I've ever had that like can actually keep me full as a, a bridge snack between meals. We really do market this as something to kind of hold you over until that next meal. This is not mm. a meal replacement bar. You'll notice from the size, it's a snack size. It's not meant to be in replacement of a meal, um, but it will give you you know, really great high quality protein and superfoods that are so good for your body. And it is going to hold you over until that next time you can get a full rounded balanced meal. Yeah. I mean, I wish I found you guys when I was on the East coast, you know, in my group fitness grind, going yeah. class to class, client to client, teaching all the things. Right. Yeah. Like what do you grab in between all that? It's, uh, it's I mean, my backpack was filled with all of the snacks <laughs> and they took up all the very large footprint right. <laughs> as no, well. Totally. I think that's the cool thing about what I've noticed just about Alavi that you guys have done really well is that smaller size, it's not a large footprint. You can throw it in a purse, a fanny pack, a mm-hmm. backpack, and you're not worried about, oh my gosh, like this is taking up half my bag mm-hmm. uh, type deal. But I also, I, I know this because knowing you both, knowing Nikki a little bit better, but hearing it a little bit here, it's like, your Michelle's sensitive stomach was the first test, and then your taste palate was the second test. Yeah, I'm like from the Midwest, and so it's like <laughs> everything tastes good. It's probably not good for you, but we we always joke that if it can pass Michelle's stomach and my taste buds, like we're in yeah, a good, good spot. Point. We're in yeah. a sweet spot. Yeah. How has it been? I think a lot. There's a lot of people out there that have a problem, their own problem. Yeah. That's unique. Well, one, they often think it's unique to them. Thankfully, if you do a good market research and what you all have done, you start to realize there's other people that have this shared problem. But how did you get, how has that process been two years in to the business now, basically getting other people to buy in to your solution? Because I mean, we know it, there's a zillion other bars out there Mm -hmm. as well. What have been some of the biggest struggles and what have been the biggest successes for you both? And feel free to like not hold back on either of those. Yeah, <laughs> I'll let you. I mean, go ahead if you want to start. It's, so it's there's a couple other couple questions in there. So um, I'll start with uh, just to kind of reconfirm. Was your question kind of like how do we f- get people to buy in, or what are our let's go buy in first, and then okay. we'll talk struggle and success after that. Yeah. yeah, I would say the core tenement for anything is lead with the value, right? In selling, in recruiting, in um, you know authentically connecting with people it's networking right um what value can you provide to people because that's really the emotional connection you need to bridge for not only getting a sale but more importantly building your brand how do people feel how do you uh, convey that feeling um how do you kind of match that um and so for us it's it's really to lead with value solving a problem right Mm -hmm. and so problems are different for everyone, which is great for our consumers. Some of them have gut health issues like me. Some of them don't. They just want something delicious. Mm -hmm. Some of them are really hungry. Some of them, you know, so it's kind of communicating that value in in creative ways and different ways in testing. I think sometimes visually it'll connect with people, sometimes a referral from a friend, sometimes a video or image. So I think we're just so open to testing and, and asking for feedback and asking for advice. So some people would be like, I didn't understand why you did this. And so we're like, oh, we didn't even think about 
that point could be confusing for someone. So I think just this openness that we have, this curiosity, um, but this through line of how do we help people and how do we drive value so that they feel connected themselves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's with, like I said, with networking. If you want someone to help you, you help them first. You know, if you want to build a relationship or bring on a hire, you want to make that new hire feel like they're contributing value, right? Um, and so I would say that's, you know, how we get the buy-in is is focusing on making whatever experience for that consumer better than before they interacted with us. But how to communicate that, I just a really great point. I think we've learned kind of through copy and ads and even just how we talk about it. It's not just saying, oh, eight grams protein, 120 calories. It's like, you know, that feeling when you eat something that your stomach isn't, you know, happy about and you feel bloated. And it's like kind of getting into some of the nitty gritties about how you feel Mm -hmm. and, you know, using that. And people are like, oh yeah, I actually don't feel great after I have a whey protein bar. Probably shouldn't be having, you know, it's just like, it's kind of make it, but it's kind of make that connection. Cause I think even for us, we're like, we just, you know, rattle off kind of the features of it, but it's like, how can you talk more about like, like as Michelle said, what value is your product going to provide? Um, And I think we also have an additional challenge that exciting challenge is that we have collagen as well. And so there's some education around that too. Um, and it's, it's like we have so many, we, we feel like so much to communicate and you have, mm-hmm. you know, either just a half second or a quick glance on a store shelf or, you know, maybe just an ad. So you have to do it very strategically and hopefully you're targeting the right audience to get the message to them. That's going to be the most valuable and most important for them to receive. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I hear that and I'm like, well, that's, it's amazing. You'll never run out of content ideas because you, you can talk about a different pain point, a different feeling. And that's one target demographic and then you switch and like, that's this target demographic. Totally. I see so many companies just leave it as the eight grams of protein, 120 calories mm-hmm. by yeah, our product. That, and it's yeah. like, well, just because sure. it has three less calories in it doesn't mean, <laughs> like, does it, what actually separates you? Exactly. And maybe you'll, you'll purchase once. Yeah. Right. But to get someone to come back, you have to get them bought in. Mm-hmm. And you have to get them excited about the product to the point where they want to share it with other people. Like, hey, look what I discovered. This yeah, really yeah. We great. didn't have any marketing spend our first year and a half of business. Like, we it was entirely organic on Instagram and people just reposting on stories. Um, you know, just trying to get it into the hands of people that would maybe post about it. We just we didn't have any money in order to spend on ads. And you can build your thousand thousand dollars a day easily on Facebook ads. Yeah. And so we were, you know being very, very scrappy about how to kind of get the message out about a lobby. Um, and so, yeah, the power of, of social media was very organic, our first kind of year, year and a half in business, mm-hmm. trying to appeal to the visual, you know, visual graphics of just, they're beautiful, like, it's, you know, the beautiful ingredients that we have. And so incredible video, like mm-hmm. video and photo. Sometimes people kind of see it, they're like, oh, that looks delicious. And then once they hear about what's in it, they're like, that also sounds great. Mm-hmm. I love that. What's, has that been one of the biggest challenges so far is communicating to meet people where they're at with the bar or like what else has been kind of that journey for you all? Yeah, I would say a couple challenges specifically for us is to your, to your point, it's a very crowded category. Uh, so how do you stand out? And, you know, there's a lot of education in terms of, you know, not all sugars created equal. Some people look at our sugar content, they're like eight grams of sugar and they're like violently offended. And then it's education of like, you know, we don't use sugar alcohols, we use natural sweeteners. And so you, want it to taste good right um and then there's you know the collagen education not everyone knows what collagen is or if they do like why it's important for them um i would say also just the challenges of 
operating a company in, in like in a pandemic or post pandemic as we're transitioning out, you know, supply chain issues, delays, carrier delays, like that's just so much energy and resources for us to just get a package out and, mm-hmm. you know, have to deal with and troubleshooting anytime it doesn't, um, you know, it's on, it's on us to deliver that experience. Even if someone else messes up, we have to make up for it. Yeah. And I think people don't realize that. Um, but yeah, our most recent challenge I think has been, we launched a brand new product line, superfood Mm -hmm. nut butters, um, which we feel is very aligned with the brand, but is very different in terms of what it it doesn't have collagen in it. It has superfoods. It's a nut butter, not a bar. Um, and so then, you know, we have this kind of exciting new blank canvas of like, okay, how do we now come to market as a lobby with two products? Not like Mm. this is a lobby, a collagen protein bar. Um, so how we've kind of, how do we communicate that effectively on our website and, and to our customers um, that we're not just a one trick pony. We've got now a, you know, a portfolio of products in different flavors and we're going to continue innovating. Um, you know, how do we build a company that has that room for growth and creativity underneath like kind of what we can now call lobby as elevated modern nutrition. Um, everything that we want to you know, always think about is can this like be, you know, conveniently brought with you anywhere? It's shelf stable, you know, follow you on a hike, follow you to the office, um, just like, you know, formats that you recognize. We have bars and we have nut butters, something that people can ritualize into their daily lives mm-hmm. um, is kind of how we love to think about what's next. Yeah, I was about to say, was it very intentional with how you guys created the nut butters to be in pouches mm-hmm. to stay with that on-the-go feel versus going like classic peanut butter jar type deal? Yeah, there's a couple intentionality uh, pieces in there. So one, yes, it's, it's in line with our brand of being convenient, on-the-go, you know, doesn't t- like tie you down. Um, there's the portion control aspect. We got a lot of feedback uh, when we were doing research on the nut butter category. Of sometimes people down a whole jar and not feel the greatest about it, right? So there's cool that there's that individual serving size. We're doing a- also a lot of research in terms of, you know, larger companies are trying to go to market with these like kind of snack packs around 100 calories. And that's just such a great marketing angle to go around. Um, and then there's also the fact that, um, you know, you're you're not competing with this huge set on a wall in a supermarket of like all these different nut butters. There aren't that many packets, mm-hmm. you know, aside from one or two brands. And so the competitive set was a lot smaller compared to the protein bars. We experienced that. We're like, okay, next product line we come out with, let's not have it be in a sea of um, competitors. So it really allowed us to shine. And, and then the uniqueness of it is we solve so many pain points with these products. We, you know, the Justin's nut butter packets, the, the nut butter would clump at the bottom. So we went for like a thinner viscosity that you can like slurp up kind of like a gogurt. I would, I would liken it to, um, we don't use any palm oil, which damages our rainforest. We use hemp seed oil first in the, in the category to come out with hemp seed oil, which is good for not only your skin and your body, but also for the planet. It's a regenerative agriculture crop. Um, and then infusing with superfoods to make it vibrant and colorful and delicious. Um, that was also never thought of either. So it's just really, how do we take something that people know and understand form factor and ingredients, Mm -hmm. but really revolutionize, you know, the integration, um, unlike anything done before. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. But we have the pouches. I mean, initially there was uh, in the middle of the pandemic, we were spending so much money on shipping and the, the boxes were so expensive to send out. And so we're like, what if we went with a pouch? We can throw it into a mailer envelope. And you know, that was just on, honestly just like a company business learning lesson 101 yeah. of like, just make it cheaper. Um, to sh- and so it was cheaper to ship. And people honestly just really loved that. Like I can throw this in my bag. It's really fun to share. It's like a you know beautiful packaging. It reseals. And so we felt like, you know, this is, it's unique to our brand. And we wanted to keep that consistent with the nut butters too, because it just does really um, align with being on the go and something that can 
yeah. go with you anywhere. Talk to me about the challenges that the past two years, because you just said before uh, we started recording, you guys put in first production order October 19, started to this grand retail plan i'm sure january of 2020 mm-hmm. and then we all know what happened just two three months later how did you guys adapt to that what did you learn take me through that process it's kind <laughs> of ptsd um i mean everything and everything just changed overnight right we mm-hmm. we lost our jobs as fitness instructors right which was a huge market for us a huge ability to build community and to acquire customers and get feedback so we had to shift to being online overnight you know we had offices that we were talking to gyms fitness studios retail Events, marathons mm-hmm. triathlons yeah, yeah all those done which was terrifying and paralyzing and you're going through your own trauma and emotional kind of coping with a, a pandemic that you had no idea about and you have to build a company and you just invest all of your savings into it right and so it's it's it really did test our resilience and our ability to build each other up and to uh, really be lean and capital efficient. We weren't funded. We literally poured in our own personal savings. Not even friends and family give us any money. We didn't ask for it. And so it was every single dollar we looked at and was like, how can we drive value? And how can we you know, make sure that dollar you know, made its money back? Um, and I'll never forget just a story of like being in a like a grocery store buyer and the buyer's like looking at it and the woman's like I don't think you know we're interested and she's like okay I'll have it back thanks and like literally <laughs> grabbed it out of her hand and left and I was like ah. <laughs> it was just like you know the it was just like we didn't let any bar go wasted. to waste it no yeah. dollar was left if unless it was wrapped around a block six times like we were scrappy to the point of like oh yeah I was on dating apps trying to sell bars to guys because yeah. I wanted a low acquisition cost <laughs> like anybody who was like asking for free samples I'd be like no but you can buy some and it was just very much educating people because they thought like bars just grow on trees looking at bigger companies like clever kind and it's like no 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 like we poured our heart and soul into producing these bars and these are this is our money like like this bar is like x amount of dollars so just funding it ourselves made us really be careful about who we're giving it to um and i would say the way we got around it was just yeah being super scrappy we would hand deliver products to save money on shipping we'd package the products ourselves anywhere we could save a dollar we could and then any dollar we had was for the premium ingredients and that was key is like above all else premium ingredients and nice packaging and mm. everything else we asked favors for friends who had worked at facebook can you give us facebook ad credit people who worked at google can you set up our google analytics and and just to kind of bring a full circle because we were 26 at the time we had network we had people we were working with. We lived in San Francisco. We knew people who worked at all the tech companies. So even though, yeah, everything shut down, we still were very re- resourceful in help finding people to help us. And we weren't afraid to ask for help. Um, and it, it was so valuable because we weren't even qualified for grants, like all the PPL loans and, and mm-hmm. all the government grants we couldn't qualify for because we were such a young company. We didn't have any past you know, financial resources on. So it was and we didn't have salaries to show that we needed yeah. help paying salaries. Yeah. So. so it was just a very, very awful timing, awful situation. And looking back on it, I think it just tested us so much as founders, yeah. um, as humans, as business partners. Um, and it is really cool to see finally all that hard work and grit uh, kind of materialize into like a very strong brand that represents, you know, the strength that it took to bring it to mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we really, you know, we started as a full-size bar, actually, and 
for the first time in over 15 years, March of 2020 was the first month the bar category declined because people weren't um, traveling at the same rate. They weren't going to the gym. They weren't just, you know, out and about. And so they didn't have the reasons to consume protein bars at the same rate they were before. And so we really leaned into people snacking a lot. So we kind of, you know, the bottom of our pouch says, uh, have your snack and look like one too. Like we really leaned into <laughs> kind of the snack aspect of the brand. So, but this is just to say like we, because of our stage and because we were so young and nimble, like we could iterate very quickly, which a lot of like the, the larger food conglomerates cannot. Um, mm -hmm. And so we really leaned into, you know, what flavors do people want to see? What, you know, what about the packaging don't you like? Okay, the size, that was one piece of feedback. I was like, I eat half of it and I save the rest for later. I'm like, well, why don't we just resize to more snack size in the first place and just be the bar that people of the size that they want to, you know, be consuming. Um, so, you know, I think that was another way that we really kind of weathered the storm of the pandemic is we refused to just be stubborn is we were really open to feedback and really ex so excited and passionate about this. We were going to do anything we possibly could to see it succeed. Um, yeah. I love that. No, I love the grittiness. I love the adaptability, the flexibility. I mean, I'm sure coming from Eventbrite, you were probably like, we're going to hit events running. This is going to be awesome. I can't wait. We had, like, what's had, my quota this quarter? <laughs> like, how many bars am I yeah, you got. Right. You probably had these grand plans, and then life yeah. kind of laughed and said, hey, just kidding. Let's let's adjust. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you guys get into e-com at all as part of the adjustment, or was oh, it still? Oh, okay. we had to. We yeah. were from What was the learning one, curve there? So I had a background in e-com because I was working at Eventbrite, and so okay. the biggest, you know, lessons I learned was make it frictionless, prioritize subscription, make it sticky in terms of, you know, get people to come back with offers, set up email campaigns, make sure your branding is consistent. We spent hours on our website, you know, on our emails and it's <laughs> evolved so much over time, yeah. but, but really like at the core of it is, is really that end to end experience. And, and just thankfully we, ha we had, a, we have a really like dynamic team and that, you know, I, was able to apply my digital marketing, my agency background, my, you know, e-com background to that. Um, but still we like outsourced help too and found contractors to jump in because it was just the two of us. Yeah. It's really fun though when you are marketing a company that you love so much and that like we have a lobby every day. Um, and so, you know, just kind of think about what would I want to hear as a consumer and what, you know, mm -hmm. how do we put into words what our pain points are? Because it's likely, like, as you mentioned, like there probably are a lot of other people that need to hear that as well. And like, we'll be like great consumers for a lobby. Yeah. Sorry, can I pause real quick? We have a call. Yeah, I just go would you mind it. handing me my phone real quick? All right. So last question I have for you guys. Looking back, if you're twenty three, twenty four, like what knowing what you know now, what do you wish you could like go back and tell that version of yourself with oh. this whole experience in mind? Such a good question. Um if I was telling my twenty three year old self some advice I would say be really intentional of your network of building it like who you surround yourself with be unapologetic about you know your worth and your ideas they matter and um, I would also advise any 22 23 year old of that matter to just find people you look up to and just observe them you know, you maybe like don't, you don't have to introduce yourself, but just like listen to podcasts of them, you know, follow them on social media and just observe how they structure their day, how they talk about themselves, how they, you know, lift other people up and kind of pick elements that you want to integrate into yourself. And so having this mentality of like, you're, you're always going to be learning, you're always going to be a work in progress, but there's people that you can 
surround yourself with either in person or virtually to expand you to be a better Mm. version of yourself. I would say, I wish I had that kind of mentality at an early age. I think I got to that probably in my mid to late twenties of like, you know, this, this path of trying to be better each day and trying to surround yourself with people that you can pick little nuggets from. Um, and so that's what I would say, cause life's a journey all about, you know, living through experiences. And so just to kind of be conscious about the experiences you have, right. Is this making me a better person? Is this, uh, contributing to my, you know, knowledge of life or is this, you know, putting me in a negative headspace? Is this, you know, toxic kind of behavior. Um, I would just say like kind of be bring intentionality into who you're surrounding yourself with, what you're doing, uh, what experiences you're having, um, you know, so that you can continue that journey of self-improvement. Yeah. And I I love the word intention. I, intentionality. I think I wish I had been more intentional about filling my free time with learning the things that really lit me up and really excited me. Um, and also filling my time with the people that really expanded me and were really aligned with what I enjoyed doing. I think I kind of just got swept into the, like just working so much. Um, it, you kind of just get swept into happy hours and, and work travel. And like my colleagues became like my family and we spent a lot of time together. Um, but there was this whole other part of me that was so obsessed with fitness and loved teaching and loved like when I was with Michelle, like we would just gab on and on about our favorite snacks and uh, like our you know favorite workouts at the moment. And it's like there was this whole other part of me that just was so untapped. And I think, you know, just being really intentional with, um, you know, who's filling your time at, th- at that point um, and, and what you're filling your time with, as Michelle mentioned, like be very intentional with like what you're consuming. I think I really wish I had started listening to podcasts and following like these incredible women um, just to be inspired. I just think mm-hmm. I was lacking kind of just this inspiration. Um, and, and unfortunately, I just didn't really have anyone cheerleading for me at the time. And I, that's okay. I, you know, looking back, I wish I had more female mentors. I wish I had more women that I could have turned to and talked to and that were really kind of pushing me in the right direction. But I, I didn't have that. But I'm like, grateful for, like, the friendship with Michelle. She definitely saw something in me that I wasn't seeing in myself. And I hope that same to her. Like, I just knew she was – I was like, no matter what she's doing, I know she will be successful and I want to be on that, like – on that road with her. Um, And so, you know, just finding those people that like you can really push each other. Mm -hmm. um, It's so important at that age because I think there was so much like second guessing and skepticism about Mm -hmm. what, you know, what you wanted to do and what you were good at and where you could add value. And I think I was put in such this box that like this was all all I could do and this is only a value it could bring because that was what my pay grade was. Mm -hmm. And trying to kind of get outside of that was very challenging. And I think it's just like a hamster wheel. Um, I could have stayed at PwC, you know, maybe partner track had no desire to do that but it's kind of just like you put your head down grind it out and you look up and 10 years have passed and you go through the motions yeah right and you don't really stop to think or question is this aligned with me is Mm -hmm. this what I truly want is this what lights me up is this you know what I want to do right now because you can change your mind and Mm -hmm. I think you know our parent generation and a little bit of our generation uh, have this fear of, okay, well, I need like two or three years on my resume first, or no, I have to go to college and then I have to get this degree and, and follow this path. Otherwise my parents will be extremely disappointed in me mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, we're starting to now shift into this, like, you know, what if I want to design my own life? What if I want to like kind of create something different than what other people thought of for me? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cool thing to witness in like the, f- you know, next generation of kind of redefining what it means to be, you know, an adult at 24, 25, like, mm-hmm. We thought we had to pivot by going back to grad school. Like we kind of felt like we're like, this is our only option of like getting off of it. (laughs) And like, we actually put, we had grad school savings. I was saying for the GMAT, we actually put 
those savings into the first production of Olavi, which is just like such, you know, kind of a beautiful, like full circle moment of like investing in yourself. And, right. you know, I think that's what we were planning to do with grad school. And I'm just so glad that we didn't because I think this has led to just an incredible amount of experiences and learnings that we could not have gotten in the classroom. And bet on yourself. Cities. Absolutely. Invest and bet on yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we just heard it, but you have plenty of education from this <laughs> past two-year yes, experience um, with Olavi. It very much treats you, I'm sure, just like a grad school would. Um, I want to just thank both of you guys for your time. We're going to pass this mic off to some of the people in the audience here that have questions. So, caller, what's your name and where are you calling from? <laughs> Who's going first? All right, so this sounds a little weird, but um, <laughs> so I don't know like what stage in the business you are in right now, but you know traditionally with most startups or most businesses, it's like the beginning is obviously the hardest. It's the hardest point of time, but then it's okay, a little bit of momentum, a little bit of momentum, and then oftentimes there's this inflection point where it's like it's moving, where people are buying it not once but twice. Where and we don't know them. Yeah, and you don't know them, or <laughs> yeah. like people are. You know, you can't trace back the marketing efforts that got that sale. Mm-hmm. Kind of explain to me what what point are you at right now with that? Have you hit that inflection point? Do you feel like it's coming or, you know, kind of share that? That's a great question. Yeah, I would say there's different stages of that. I would say yeah. like stage one is someone who you don't know. Yeah. Like you just said. <laughs> Do you know them? Like we would like, talk to them. Do you know this person? <laughs> right. So if it's like someone we don't know, that's like the first inflection point. Then the second one is like, can we trace back how they heard about us? Sometimes we can't, which is great. I would say sometimes like if I would find a rapper like on the street near a gym or something like, wow, someone purchased it and that was cool. Then or, we throw it away. <laughs> right. Exactly. Then we make sure they don't let it. Or if we're at an event and someone's like, wait, I've heard about this before. Or, I've mm-hmm. seen this on this person's like Instagram. Instagram, that's a cool inflection point. Um, or the most recent one is when a retailer has reached out to us and saying, hey, I heard about you guys. Or I've seen you somewhere. Uh, can you send us samples? We want to we wanna give you guys a try. So I, there's different stages in it as we evolve and get bigger. And, and that's what's really cool is they get exciting and more exciting and bigger as, as we get bigger ourselves. Right. Yeah. So how long it, did it take to get that like first, first inflection point really where it was like, okay, this is something. This is something. We sold out of our first production run in like eight weeks, which was really fast. We had ordered. So we opted out of not doing how most food companies start is in a test kitchen. You're making it hand batch yourself, packaging it yourself. You know, looks looks very farmer's market style. Uh, we went straight to a co-manufacturer. I'll attribute that to Michelle. She was like, we're going big, like right off the gates. Like we're not having the transition from test kitchen to manufacturing. We're just going to start there. But with that comes a huge intensive um, commitment of capital. You have to purchase the inventory up front. And you have to order um, a minimum order quantity of thousands and thousands of units. So, like, us not knowing anything, we're, like, just had a pallet delivered to our front doors in San Francisco. And the driver was like, absolutely not. Like, uh, you don't have a lift gate to take this pallet off my truck. Um, but, like, you know, that was just, like, this moment of um, we had, you know, thousands of bars that we just had to sell through. And we're like, all right, let's do it. And I think, you know, that moment where we sold out for the first time was like, all right, we've got something. Like, mm-hmm. this is something that people love. And, like, we started seeing repeat purchasers come back in that first production run. But I think the f- that, you know, that first, that moment we're like, we're out of bars. Like, we need to order more. Like, this is, you know, if we want to continue forward with this, like, we got to put more capital into this. And I think for me, at least, that was like, we're doing this again. Like, mm-hmm. this is going to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, people love this. And, you know, we saw, we saw that despite the crowded category, like, there was space for us to take over. Um, a segment. Very cool. Um, I mean, I could ask a million different questions. I like talking about this stuff, but I'll, I'll just save two more. Um, one, 
at what point or was it right away did you quit your corporate jobs to go all in yeah so that was actually tiered uh which i think is really interesting so um i quit my job working at sephora corporate pretty early um partly because I was very dissatisfied with my job. And the other part is because I knew personally for myself, if I didn't have kind of like the rug pulled under me and that pressure, I wouldn't perform. I wouldn't recommend that for everyone. Um, I did have money saved up, uh, not enough to carry me through a pandemic, but um, I, I did, you know, plan that out and knew, you know, as I was saying earlier, that I trusted myself and I knew my my capability and my capacity to run. And, and if I had a strong idea and strong conviction, I could make anything happen. So um, I quit it probably like right as I was starting because I hit a point where I'm like, there's no way I can continue this further at the pace I wanted uh, by, you know, doing nights and weekends, an hour here or there. I needed to take calls. I needed to go visit retailers. I needed to, you know, be super hands-on. And so I quit pretty early. Um, and then Nikki was part-time, still working her full-time job, which is pretty incredible because she had really long, crazy hours. So she'd just not sleep um, and just like hop in at two or three in the morning. And I remember we were just like G-chatting her at work secretly uh, so she wouldn't get in trouble. Um, and so it was kind of that tiered. I was full-time um, and, and Nikki was part-time, but investing a lot more capital. So it was a sweat equity and and financial equity and then when we've we had this agreement that once we raised our pre-seed round to get us salaries then Nikki would quit her full-time job come on full-time and we both have salaries so that's kind of how we structured out the when to quit Um, I will say like having Michelle full-time was so critical to the growth in the amount of time that we had I think we meet a lot of founders who are you know even still a couple years in trying to do it as uh, on the side with their full-time job and with families and you know, I think you just miss out on a lot of opportunities for growth by kind of just like pegging away at it. And then, you know, everyone's story is different and there's so many reasons as to maybe why they're not full time. Um, But I I will attribute just like so much having Michelle on this full time and like really focused on it. And I felt so guilty because I was like, I want to, you know, that was helping me kind of get to the point of like, I want to go full time on this. I want this to be all that I'm doing. I don't want this to be something that I get to at two in the morning when my brain power is tapped. You know, that's, it was, it was very, you know, strategic, I think, in how we did it. But mm-hmm. there has to come a point where if you're going to go all in, you have to be full time. Um, what uh, prevented you from going full time, like for that period of time where she was full time, you weren't? Yeah, no, I mean, I look you? back and I don't have regret for not leaving sooner. I just like this is something I admire so much about Michelle. She was like, I don't care if I, you know, like I, I, I again, accountant CPA, I'm like, what do you mean your bank account's empty? Like, I, you know, this, there were, were very different people in that way. And I think. I, I am very risk averse and I appreciate that she like pulls me with her um, in so many ways. Like we complement each other really well, but I was kind of just at the point where um, I didn't have, I, I, I felt like I was like, I know this is a very capital intensive business and we're going to need money to keep purchasing inventory. And so felt like if I had income that I could continue to like funnel to the business, that was just going to help us get to the, the next point at which we have funds that we've raised, then I don't need to be doing that. Then I can come on board. Yeah. Um, It was super smart. It was Mm -hmm. super smart looking back because a lot of companies also sometimes they need money right away or they can't get a loan and they get these really, really bad terms or predatory investors that they know they need money. Now they're going to, you know, take a ton of equity. So, as far as we could, we self-funded strategically so that no one was owning our business or influencing us too early when we wanted to have all the reins in controlling our brand. So if you don't, you know, have capital and you have someone who's like able to bring in income, um, you know, use that as a resource. And that that was the smartest thing we did. 
yeah. was doing the split of like someone working full time, someone still having capital to contribute so that you had the best of both worlds. Yeah. And it wasn't that, I, you know, I, I think like, well, did you not believe in it? I was like, of course I believe in it. I was giving every, every saving I had to this business. And I like knew Michelle and I knew us together as a powerhouse and I knew the product's incredible. It was just kind of like the timing wasn't just quite right, knowing that how much money it was going to take to get to the next stage. And so we had to just wait for that moment where we could both be full time on it. That's cool. Yeah. And then uh, last question is well, one that kind of came up. How much money did you guys raise? It sounded like you just raised money. And then what's like the next step for a lobby? Mm-hmm. You just launched a new product, but what's like the yeah. big vision, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we raised uh, what's called like a pre-seed round. There's a lot mm-hmm. of kind of terms thrown around, um, but we opted out of a friends and family round. We didn't we didn't have angel investment from friends and family. So we went to what's called a pre-seed round. So it was our first time raising um, in the market. And we had a lead investor um, that put in uh, a large portion of what we were raising, raising a half mil. Um, and so we knew what we, you know, people told us like, if that's not enough, like go higher. And we could up, but we're like, we also know how much we need. And we're very, very scrappy. And we'll continue to run the business in a way that is extremely um, cost efficient. And so, you know, we felt like, like if we can get money in now, like we'll take that as far as we can. So we'll probably go to raise again by the end of the year okay. for more of a formal seed round. Um, cool. Yeah. I'll let You're somebody good. else go. All right, cool. Awesome. awesome. All right, so you talked a lot about like the resiliency, the grit, the mm. going back to the well, like as an entrepreneur, as a businesswoman, like what's the biggest thing that you didn't realize you didn't know about the grit, the resiliency, the getting back up? I think honestly, I was, I look back and I'm like the amount of resilient, like just how much we persevered through. I mean, like we started as an entirely different company name. We went through trademark litigation. Like we had to completely rebrand. Like we have like, you throw us like an MBA case study of any kind. Like we've probably been through some sort of like case, you know, every different situation, hopefully, you know, we've been through a lot and I do attribute as having one another to get through that as such a big part of it, but also just like, you know, in order to lift one another up and be resilient. I think it took two of us being courageous together to do that. Um, but I look back and I, I just, you know, I'm just amazed by what we were able to pull through. Um, I think we, because we're so obsessed with health and wellness, we set ourselves up for success by, you know, making like, yes, not every night do we get the amount of, amount of sleep and not every day do we eat the right things, but we are so focused on like, we want to be healthy because we know that we can show up for the business in that way. And like, you know, we run a wellness company, you know, for help, like, to help people live healthier lives. And so like, if we're not doing that ourselves and like, we need to like a, take a hard look in the mirror. But I think looking back, like, because, you know, we've always put, you know, health and wellness at the center of our lives and then of the company, it's like helped us succeed in so many ways. I think it's just so important to be active, get good sleep, be healthy in your relationships and, um, you know, to really know yourself well, especially um, as we get older, uh, was, you know, why I think we were able to get through this at the point that we did. And as mentioned, like, you know, we didn't do this right out of college. We had, you know, we we're in our mid to late twenties. I think that maturity really helped us too, just to realize, you know, what's urgent, what's really important, what takes our energy and what can we just kind of like, okay, this can get pushed to later or just isn't important at all. Like, you know, really being able to focus and prioritize um, strategically what is absolutely necessary to push the company forward and not get distracted by all the noise. And I think with that too, we are getting feedback left and right from people like, I don't like this. I don't like bars. You're never going to like, this is never going to be anything, you know, like, and to be able to kind of tune that out was very hard. We went through moments of just, you know, trying not to believe it, but you hear so many no's and so much negative feedback. It gets to the point where you're like, we were just 
depleted. And we started to learn what calls we weren't going to take. If this investor doesn't invest in food, we're not taking the call. They, we have no desire to know their opinion on things. You know, if there was, um, you know, just as an example, like that was, you know, we, we just started to get really careful about you know, where we put ourselves um, and in which situations we put ourselves to protect our energy and to protect our mindset. Um, and I think that was something we, we had to learn, though, kind of throughout this. But, it, you know, through all of that, resilience was, was building for sure. Yeah, it's a big grit moment. Um, totally. Two things follow up with that. One is the concept of having a teammate for life. You and Michelle are able to, like, balance off each other. I mean, you talk about it, yeah. you know, you staying on full-time job as she goes full-time with the business, things like that. Mm -hmm. But additionally, it's, like, you know the energy that you're seeking and what you're looking for. So it's almost just, like, you don't want to follow the advice of people who aren't walking through your shoes or walking through your story. Yeah. Or, like, understanding that and taking that leap. Was that, like, once you realized, like, what energy you were taking in, was did you feel like that was the step of the business going forward? Because you're like, this is the focus. Like, why these are the people I want to be able to surround myself with. Yeah. These are my teammates. Th this is what matters. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there was no doubt in my mind that, you know, Michelle couldn't do this. I think, though, just personally, I felt so um, straddling lines of, like, wasn't feeling like I was doing my best at PwC because I felt like I was so badly wanted to be in a lobby and a lobby just didn't have the sake of like the time and energy that I wanted to put into it. Um, and so I think by, you know, just that feeling, there's the weight that lifted off my shoulders when I got to walk away from PwC and just get to focus on a lobby. Like the challenge is just totally shifted. It's like now I can work on the things and the projects that, you know, I, I really wanted to and I didn't get to because it was just absolutely not necessary, you know, at the time of trying to, to balance two jobs. Um, but yeah, there was there was absolutely kind of this this massive shift, I think, when both of us were full-time on this and when we had investors stand behind us. I think, you know, not that we didn't believe in ourselves, but when you have people that are betting, you know, on you guys succeeding, like, that was a really important moment for us uh, to kind of just be like, all right, like, this is it. Now we're really, you know, we're cooking with gas. And so that was also an exciting moment for the company. Okay. So uh, you guys talk a lot about like the dynamic between you both. Yeah. Um, do you see yourself as like visionary and integrator, like as a role mm. and completing each other in the business? Or you see that your guys are very similar and that's what makes the business go yeah, I mean, I think the skill sets are very complementary and that they're very different. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, you know, as we mentioned, like, you know, Michelle can be much more impulsive, which I love that about, you know, she just like, then there's also like, there's this unstoppability to her that like, you know, she gets something in her head, she's going to do it. It's something where you like know when someone's going to succeed. And I, I absolutely saw that in her. Um, and, and not that I don't have that, but I just don't think it's as natural coming to me. Uh, but I will say being full-time in a lobby, like the things that now I think about, I'm like, Absolutely, we'll be on Target shelves. Absolutely, we're going to be one of the top selling bars on Amazon. Absolutely, I'm, we're going to see ourselves on that podcast. Like now, it just it's it's been very expansive, running I think with Michelle, but also kind of bringing something to market that you find that people really love. Like it, it has absolutely built a confidence and a, a courageousness in me that I don't think was there before. Mm -hmm. I think it it was stifled so much because of the career I was in. I was just in the wrong job. It mm -hmm. wasn't, it wasn't helping me think creatively. I was a very creative person stuck in a numbers job. Like it wasn't an environment that, that fostered, I think some of my natural skill sets. And unfortunately that's just kind of the path I chose out of college. Um, I think by coming onto a lobby, it's been this just like kind of beautiful, like discovery of what really excites me. And I think that I like naturally have strengths in and then just balance with Michelle it's it's a really beautiful combination and I think together you know we both have moments of doubt but I think we really lift each other up and inspire one another in so many different ways um, and I think you know that alone 
we're just getting started. There's so much that, you know, I think we haven't even thought about that. We're and do you see yourself see. more as like the visionary in the business or more like the integrator in the business? Um, you know, I think in terms of like visionary for a food company, I think Michelle and I are always thinking about what's like, okay, what is something that like we have every day or that we really want and that isn't in the market? Um, and so that was like how the nut butters kind of came about is something we really wanted. I think both of us are, are constantly thinking, our wheels are turning about, okay, what about this, what about this? And we're both very curious as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I, I love like kind of the operational aspect of the business. I love mm -hmm. the fulfillment, like figuring out logistics. She hates that. So okay. she gets, you know, she does a lot of the marketing and the creative side and selling. I do a lot more of kind of like, how are we going to get this to the people that are buying yeah. from your amazing sales tactics? So, you know, it's a good, it's a good compliment. I say, I was probably call Michelle definitely a visionary, but I, at the same time too, like we both love to just think about what's next for a lobby. Um, it really, it really fires us up. And we both like, we have very different skills when it comes to formulation in terms of like her sensitive stomach and my taste buds. Like it, that's another good combination between the two of us about how we're going to continue innovating. Awesome. Um, what do you consider being like the most important hiring like in terms of contractor or investment that you guys did to make the business grow yeah um you know we haven't we've been really intentional about how we think about team um you know our needs have changed month to month and so what a hire looked like three months ago is probably going to look very different now and so i think if we could find someone that is able to grow and adapt with us at the rate that we need them to and can kind of be this like jack of all trades we would make that higher. I think it's just, it's, it's difficult to put a job description on that. And it's difficult to put, you know, to get to know someone well enough about if that's the right person for the job. So we've, we've contracted a lot, um, just, you know, as scrap, as scrappily as we could, because contracting and agencies get really expensive, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have found, <laughs> we've had a lot of help with fi you know, Fiverr and some of the gig economies, like mm -hmm. as much cheap labor as we can, um, just to support our, you know, our needs. But I think someone early on told us like, really value your time. Like what is like an hour of your time worth? And think about that when you need something done. Like, cause there are certain things also that drain us and like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not even worth, like there's no dollar value on us doing something that like is really draining for us. Um, so like those are things that we absolutely like we outsource and we find people to help us do is thinking about what is it that really drains us, outsource that. Um, what is it that isn't, you know, contributing to top line revenue of the company? Um, you know, try and outsource some of those types of things and then push your money and invest in the people that are going to help you contribute to top line revenue and growth of the business. Like those, that's where, that's why investors put money into this business is for it to grow. And so you need to also then put those resources into the people um, or, you know, platforms and technology that's going to help you do that as well. Um, mm -hmm. So we're just constantly thinking about, okay, what's the ROI of this dollar going out and what's going into um, is, is having this kind of compounding mindset. And when you look back and you see like all the investments that you guys did into that, like would you consider a few of them the most important to make the business be where it is right now? Or you think all of them were important? I think they've come together. You know, we, we still, you know, it's kind of the wild west in marketing right now. It's like, I think we thought like, we're just going to go pump money into Facebook ad like ads. And it's like, that is absolutely not the strategy. I, and that's shifted a lot over the past year. Um, and so it's not just like being able to put your money into one thing and suddenly it's going to grow overnight. Like it's like been very strategically, you know, putting this money into so many different channels and putting it to use in so many different ways. And I think, you know, something about marketing too, is it's not like you put money in and you see sales, you know, it's, it takes multiple three to four touch points for a consumer to see the brand and recognize it mm -hmm. for them to maybe even purchase. And so it's like making sure that we're in all the right places strategically in front of the right people where eventually we're going to start to see that recognition. And then that, you know, brings people in. It's not just going to be like, Oh, this ad sold to that one person. Um, and so I think, 
yeah, it's very much been like an accumulation of all of our efforts. And I think because we're just so careful with, with our money, like we haven't just like, oh, we'll just see if it works. Like we've been very intentional. Like, okay, is this something that we think it will work and why? And if we can say why, like then we'll test and try it. If it doesn't work, we pull it very quickly. Mm-hmm. Like we're not just like letting money kind of like, we'll just give it a few months. Like if it's not working, like within a matter of like days or weeks, it's cut. It's just kind of the point that we're at that we can do that. And so, um, and then maybe there's something that we cut too early and like we learned the lesson the hard way, but because we were trying to move too quickly and we didn't give it the time that it deserved, but like we're, we have a pretty good pulse on like, okay, this like didn't land the way we thought it would or whatever. And those are just the mistakes and that, that help us learn along the way. All right. I'm back. <laughs> that was like, first off, so cool, but also so trippy, like passing off the mic. On this, that's the first time that's happened in like 180 episodes on the show <laughs> to someone else. So that. cool. Thank you guys for being a part of that. Um, Nikki, I know Michelle had to go jump and take a call, but where can those listening in keep up with you both, Alavi, and all the cool things that you guys got yeah, going on? Yeah, we very much put ourselves at the face of the brand. So if you find Alavi, you'll find us. Um, our Instagram is HeyAlavi. That's a, our social handle for across all channels, HeyAlavi. Um, our website is alavi.co. We can find us there. Um, we're also on Amazon. We're on Amazon Prime. So you can Ooh. have it in two days, which I, as much as I love fulfilling things, I cannot get that as fast to you as Amazon can. So It's a little bit more cost effective to have Amazon do the Prime uh, Yeah, two days the Prime two days is much more cost effective. Um, and then we're also sold if you're in LA we're in Air One Markets we're in the Earth Bar Cafes uh, the Equinox par- the cafe partner for Equinox um, and hopefully more retail here in the next few months as well but beautiful Nikki and Michelle thank you both for being here this was a blast I appreciate you coming to the Airbnb the headquarters for the weekend thanks for having us this was so fun yeah, of course until next time flow on my friends